What was that supposed to be? I keep forget. That's the guy's. I think so the, that's still in Sarsgaard's pet, isn't it? It's supposed to be Yui's wife. I think that's that's what my conclusion is. That's supposed to be Yui's wife being tortured. Who's, who played Yui? The doctor with the diamond on his forehead who betrays the Atreides. I thought he died. He does. The Baron kills him. He's a little more. But that guy had a wife, and that oh, was why he betrays the right. Atreides to save his wife. Yeah, you can't unsee that, man. That, yeah. that hurts. That I, really, that's all I'm going to say is, is that just I mean, like... I, I mean, I know you've probably seen some torture chambers in other movies with like gangster have, movies and stuff like that. But, but that, it, it, I think that takes the cake right there. It does. It was absolutely horrifying. I will never... Yeah, I'm, this is never going to leave me. It's just horrifying. Well, do you know how you can get some sleep tonight? Let's do the Rolling Stones and chill. Well, no. yes. One, yes. But two, fill and kill. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was never, that was <laughs> never, I'm sorry, that was never in doubt. Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkenomics, two bartenders who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business are going to sit down and drink to the global economy and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. So welcome back to Drunkenomics, the drinking podcast with the economics problem. For yes, those it of is. you joining us for the first time, welcome. For those of you joining us for at least the second time, welcome back. I <laughs> at least the second more, time. Or at least the second time. Hopefully more than it's hopefully more than two, <laughs> but you know what? I'll take it. For those of you wondering, the VIX has remained below the threshold, and I, James Gold, remain your less gracious host. And then alongside me, through the power of the interwebs, is of course our more gracious host. And that Aaron is me, Wong. Aaron Wong. Yes, the VIX is at 17, 17.22, it looks like. I think that's what I saw. That's what I'm currently seeing because I just pulled it, it up it, as I was saying know, that. It doesn't so. it doesn't matter as long as as long as you can as long as there's a W in the in the in the win column, a win's a win, baby. Yeah. So Which is weird because the markets are all up today, but so is the VIX. So does that make you wonder? Well, hmm. you know, it's it's volatility if people start to see well, it's, it's volatility, prices are going but, up, people are starting to see this idea of like, well, they there might be a there's got to be a downside to this eventually. Let's let's try it. I mean, it's volatility, but I mean, it's measured in how many people are buying options contracts to hedge against the bad kind of volatility. Absolutely. Right? So if I so, see if I see a stock hitting a record high, I might sit here and say, like, well, maybe I'll buy an option for the right. Maybe yeah. I'll, I'll try and get the ability to sell at this price. Yeah, exactly. Put a floor on a the month. losses just in case your exactly. stock market gets triggered just in case, post-session. Just in case a member of your... So, uh, just gave a member of your ownership team or board of directors comes out and says, hey, I might sell 10% of my shares to pay taxes. Yeah, I might sell $20 billion worth of a giant company just to pay, just to cover my tax bill, right? So speaking of which, got a lot in store for you. We just kind of touched on it. We touched on one. We touched on that's, that's you know, we talked yeah. about it last week saying maybe get, maybe mm-hmm. end up going to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. But now he's- Oh, yeah. Now well, he's b- just- Before we open that Pandora's box, uh, as the music subsides, let's- Real quick, give us a quick, give ourselves a quick shout out on our social media platform. Absolutely Meta. agree. Yeah, Meta. Uh, you can find Meta. us on Meta. Facebook, Meta. Meta. It's, still, Meta. it's a weird way to. It's a weird way to pronounce what looks to me, based on spelling, to be Facebook. Um, <laughs> oh wait, no. <laughs> is, from, is Facebook a weird way to spell Meta? I mean, we're not. Either whatever. way, I just blew your mind, didn't I? I you did, and uh, I'll be honest. <laughs> You're grateful for it. But that's how we yeah. died. Um, <laughs> no, so if you're looking to reach out to us on um, any of social media, track us down on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Drunkenomical. D R U N K E N O I M. D R U N K E N O M I C A L. It's going to happen one day and it's going to be like, wow. One, one of these days, we're just going to be like, whoa, James, is that you? 
you're eternally the more gracious host. And, it's, and the answer is going to be like, no, it wasn't. It was oh. something came over me. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's D-R-U-N-K-U-N-O-M-I-C-A-L. Yep. On all three of those platforms. There you can find access to our Discord. Yes, you can. And you can join us and jump in. Yeah. I guess Speaking I should. of our Discord channel, we had some interesting discussions about a certain particular individual that we talked about last week. We Because did. their stock has been on a run. The company, as you may know, is Tesla, and the CEO, as you may know, is the famous or infamous or notorious all the above. Elon Musk. Um, Perhaps yeah, all the so above. Yeah, so to me, like, so. it really has been a fun conversation. So he said he, and this is kind of something we talked about last week, was the idea of having, being able to tax unrealized gains. Mm-hmm. And my, you know, my concern is, well, if you tax unrealized gains, you have to then credit unrealized losses in the same way. Right. But- yeah, no, so I mean, he's, but he, he made that tweet and it seems to have had a negative effect on the share price. Oh, yeah, of, of course. Yeah, like, of course. I it mean, would. it's kind of like what happened with Robinhood when Robinhood first IPO'd. I think it was Moffat Nathanson, which is a venture VC firm, I think in San Francisco or wherever they are. They got into Robinhood way before Robinhood ever went public. So because of that, they were entitled to X amount of Robinhood shares whenever they IPO'd. Robinhood, of course, IPO'd. Their stock got memed. And their stock shot up, and then Moffat Nathanson was like, "All right, we're going to sell half of our Robinhood shares." That made the news. Robinhood shares plummeted. It's kind of like what's going on here, right? Whenever a major holder or major investor of a certain company decides that they want to shed a giant portion of their shares, in this case, ten percent, yeah, of course the stock's going to go down. Which, yeah, you know, it, if someone's about to sell something on the market, right? So if we look at the very basic, one of the basic rules of economics, maybe the most basic is that Supply scarcity scarcity drives value, right? So the less of selling there yep. is, the more it's worth. So long as there's demand and in this case what we're seeing is that there's yeah, uh, yeah there's about to, there's about to be a substantially greater supply of tesla mm-hmm. if he goes through with it yeah. and not just there's gonna be a greater supply there's gonna be a greater supply being pumped into the market pretty quickly all at once really. yeah so it's pretty crazy i mean and i kind of misspoke there it wasn't he decided to sell it he put it on twitter to say i will sell 10 percent of my shares if more than half the votes are if my followers which vote is, that i should and 58 percent said yeah which yeah, is so ahead. ridiculous do it when you got that much money, if you got enough money that you're going to be an idiot, power to you, man. I don't get how the SEC is not like, dude, okay, this guy has sent out several tweets. We talked about this a million times. He sent yeah. out several tweets that have influenced the price of his actual stock. Well, Whether so, he's made money. I mean, he's lost money on it this time, but like. Well, so here's here's the interesting thing. So, well, he hasn't because uh, well, he hasn't sold yet, remember? Right. Okay. So he hasn't um, realized those losses, but he's got unrealized losses. He's got recognized losses. Yeah, in theory. But I, I would say the issue yeah. is he's got, so he's got two issues now. And the first one is technically part of the SEC agreement that they that Tesla, Musk, and the SEC signed after going private securities issue. Right. Yeah. So that claim. <laughs> yes. Yeah, speaking of which. Fraudulent. Um, essentially, Tesla has to vet every <laughs> communication he's going to have if it involves Tesla. And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that they probably didn't vet this. So yeah. now he's in breach with the SEC. Tesla's in, he's in breach with Tesla. Tesla's in breach with the SEC. So we'll see what they do this week because they're going to have to do something. Because if they don't, yeah. well, then suddenly the SEC is feckless and weak and it won't do anything. Well, that's yeah. And who's the chairman of that um, SEC again? Isn't it that Gary Gensler guy that's also saying, hey, we should ban payment for order flows? I'm pretty sure it's it is Gary, Gary Gensler. Gensler. You're absolutely right. So, yeah, um, dude. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Gary Gensler. I, but I, I don't know if I've ever been a fan of a SEC. I could, I've consistently found so, the SEC chairs to be too weak. So that's 
reinforcing what I'm saying. So. That's, my, that's my issue is that you need is that you need if you're going to have kind of a free for all like we have in the markets, you need to have someone who sits there and goes, look, as long as you guys are within the bounds of legality, have at it. But the second you step out of line, I am here with a big stick. I know, I but, will then, whack you. but then again, like legality is also a subjective term. That's why there's Supreme Court cases that get appealed. And, you know, depending on who the nine judges are, it goes one way or another way, right? Sure. But what I'm so, saying, what I, I suppose what I mean is if you're at a point where it's like where the SEC has said, okay, if you're going to communicate anything about this company, it has to be vetted by the firm. And then you don't do it. Well, you have to do something at that point because it's like, well, it's just, or what's the point of having the SEC? Which I suppose is the, next point, is the next point. Either it needs to do its job or not exist. Exactly. Which I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like it not existing is almost on par with almost with kind of what it's already doing, which is to say not a whole lot. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. You're not far. That's off. a really low blow. They're, they're, they are exceptionally <laughs> underfunded. So that's that's one issue. I that's one issue that I think Musk might be looking at now is is SEC issues. The other one is he's still being sued by shareholders. Wasn't this for losses? So did the 2018 lawsuit when he said I'm taking the company public? Wasn't there a lawsuit after that? And has there? And has it been concluded, or do, do you not know? It hasn't been concluded. So, or at least oh, to my knowledge, yeah, I, haven't, I haven't seen that it's been resolved. Um, yeah. Well, it's weird because like Snap got Snapchat got sued not too long ago, two years ago, or whatever, and they're already paying it out, right? They're already paying out. If you held it, I think from like sometime in 2017 to 2018. Yeah. So starting in I, I March of this were. year, some of the sh- a shareholder filed suit against Tesla and Musk, claiming that his actions have caused him damages. And here's the thing: right now they have, like, yeah, the share price is technically up, but it's like, but this guy's essentially saying every time Musk comes out and says something that drives the price down, that costs me. If I was say going to be selling, it yeah. causes me damages. Well, and that's the thing is, I you know I feel like you know I understand. Trump Trump is polarizing. They banned him off Twitter. What, what's going on with this Elon Musk guy? Well, I right? don't see. The thing is, I don't think Musk has violated the terms of service. Trump I, I go, did. Okay, fine. So I guess Trump he did violate the terms of service. So I guess he did inside um, violence. Well, I don't know. He's he's well, really pissed. He's really pissed me off a few times. Right. I mean, and this is the thing is, you know, I don't want to just I don't want to spend this much time bashing no, on Elon Musk because honestly, and if he ever wanted to come on. Drunkenomics, I'd have dude. Him. You are welcome on any time, man. Yeah, but, feel free. You know, but I'm you're not talking pull a whole lot of punches, but and I'm gonna and I'm right. gonna hold you to real answers. Yeah, but, but I mean, we're you know we're, we're two Elon Musk critics. You know, a lot of people are huge fans. I think he's insanely innovative, which I do think he is. I think he's a visionary. I mean, I also but, need an explanation for how the boring company is gonna somehow make Las Vegas public transit better. If yeah. You're gonna bore the tunnels. You might as well just well just build a metro system. And that's what I'm saying. Like, dude, you, like you can be a visionary, but like. I'm a visionary, dude. And, you know, I haven't invented a thing because I don't know any cool engineers. So (laughs) (laughs) that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Not yet. There you go. Hopefully. Um, But yeah, like I I think, you know, Elon Musk is definitely a visionary. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's a brilliant visionary, but he's also had a good supporting cast, I'm assuming. Absolutely. He always has. kind of like Marvel movies. I don't think the direction is that great, but they have a great supporting cast. Great cast. I'm I'm not a comic book movie fan, as you know, but I'll at least admit that much. Marvel movies have a great cast. (laughs) I don't know how we got into Marvel movies, but um, but no, let's uh, let's move on over to the October jobs report, which Ooh, I have yeah. posted at loose absolutely no notes. No, but it was huge. Over. It was it was five hundred and thirty thousand new jobs, up from yeah. four hundred and forty or, or four hundred twenty expected. It was something something huge. Yeah, so um, I think that's the reason for the market rally last week was. The jobs report was phenomenal. Uh, you know, I think oh, we yeah. saw six straight trading sessions that closed up. And if you want to include today, which is Monday, November 8th, today closed up too. 
I mean, well, the other thing is, is the another thing you're seeing is people are piling into um, into infrastructure stocks, so like concrete and everything else, because they've seen that there's that the infrastructure bill has been signed. There's a 1.75 trillion dollar plan. Oh, yeah, to and that passed over the weekend. The US right. passed this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's good. Like that's getting spent for sure. Yeah. That's a, that is now law. Okay. That so is law. that is, so that's that is infrastructure been signed, bill. sealed, delivered. It is all good. It is yeah. 1.75 trillion is going to be spent over the next 10 years on infrastructure in the U S. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the next thing that, uh, that the Biden administration wants to do is to build back better. That still needs to be. Yeah. Now the, so, the social programs yeah. are the, are what's that's up the now. One. Are, that's now. Okay. That's so it's happening now. So, so I guess the two big pieces of news from last week was the jobs report. Uh, non-farm payrolls increased by 531,000 in the month of October, which was awesome. Uh, beat the estimate of what I'm seeing is 450,000. Unemployment rate fell to 4.6, which is awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you see the workforce participation numbers? I haven't yet. And that's the thing is, as I, I, oh, I found wanted it. to go look. Um, oh, did you? That's, yeah, I know. I just, yeah, I can't. Lucky. I, I, I have fast fingers. Uh, not bragging, just Ladies. saying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Cut that out. Yeah, uh, <laughs> add me on Tinder. Please. Uh, <laughs> that's why you're such a good bartender, oh, Aaron, you fast uh, fingers. Well, among other things, right? That's why I'm such a good bassist, even though I'm not really, but, you know, whatever. He plays the um, drums, man. <laughs> Slap it a bass, uh, like Getty <laughs> Lee. But uh, yeah, the, the workforce participation rate is still steady at 61.6%. Weak numbers, I'll admit. But uh, you know what I'm seeing is if workforce participation is steady, but unemployment is going down, that's a good sign. Yeah. So yeah, right? the October jobs report was 530,000 jobs added versus 450,000 expected. So 80,000 more jobs than, than they thought, than, than economists were expecting to show mm-hmm. up. And that's pretty substantial. That's not an insubstantial number. I think it's a very good sign. I think it's a, it's a promising yeah, sign. Yeah, it's totally. I mean, like, the thing is, one thing that I really like seeing, too, is uh, actually two things I really like seeing, sorry, is wages grew. Wages so grew, too. They're up 4.9%, which is, I mean, inflation is still rampant, and I and it bothers me. And I filled up well, on gas recently, and it was like, ugh, dude, literally like a chunk of me was like taken out of um, out of my side when I filled up on gas. But, well, that's because uh, that's because you had to get your wallet out, money bags. But, <laughs> hey, I didn't I didn't partake in that lucid trade, so I, I missed out on it. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, dude. I mean, wages are up four point nine percent. So this is say five percent from a year ago, which is really. I mean, it's close, but like, man, dude, inflation is just insane well, right and, now. And, it's, and then I still, you know, we make that argument transitory, permanent. If wages are going to be up. It can't be transitory. That's what I'm saying. So wages are up. The hourly pay for October, the average hourly pay was twenty six twenty six. Yeah. So that's, which that's is fantastic. Huge. But you know, my main argument against like a federal minimum wage. Well, you already which, have one. So know, well, my main argument was basically just is that right? Like if mm-hmm. minimum wage goes up, it's just mass inflation. Like it's 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 going to cause some sort of inflation or at least. A decrease in work participation. Sure, you know, but there's also a bunch of arguments for it. So yeah, because you, you can't because you, you need a wage that's yeah. that's you need a. Th- I mean, I would argue that minimum wage should be a thriving wage. Right, minimum and, wage and, is and of course, kind of currently see it as kind of a starvation wage, and it's well, you know, yeah, I, and, and and that's what I'm saying. Like one of the reasons that I look at that makes me want to support minimum wages. Look, if you can't make more than this much doing this job, then this job should be automated or it shouldn't even be out there. Like, yeah. So if you can't make enough to survive working 40 hours a week doing this job. Right. There's a problem with the job. So, so, so those are like the two arguments that, you know, like I'm wrestling with the minimum wage argument in my own head because of those two reasons. Good. So, but and anyways. And, that's, and yeah. I think, and I think the thing is we both, even I have issues with,
with like this concept of like, well, if you just rate, you know, my thing is if you raise minimum wage, yeah, you're right. You're going to get, you're going to get inflation out of that. And, yeah. and if you have, and, and if you have cynical get... and bad actors, then suddenly you're not actually really raising wages at all. You're just increasing the numbers you're dealing with. Right. That's it. And then there's the whole notion of, you know, let's just let businesses decide what they want to pay. Just and if no one wants much. to work this job. Well, yeah. And then, but if no one wants to work it, then screw it. Then you got to do the job yourself if you're on the business, right? Yeah. Which we're actually, so, we're start, it's, it, it's just occurred to me. Remember how early this year and last year we were talking about how it'd be very interesting to see how that works this Thanksgiving. Oh yeah. It's like, our store is going to be open on Thanksgiving. Are they going to be open at midnight on Black Friday? Or is it going to be like, you know what? Right. No, 9 a.m. Because uh, the workers are going, you know what? I don't want to get no. up at 5.30 a.m. to show up at 6 and, and all of a sudden have the stampede come in right at 6.01. Exactly. Right? I don't want to deal exactly. with that. So we're, let's, folks, keep your eyes open. Let's 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 look to see. And we'll if, see if, if, you know, if retailers like Sports Authority and I don't know who else. Sorry. I use Sports Shields, Authority. That's Shields, I, Walmart. Yeah. Uh, I use Sports Authority because like when I was growing up playing golf I, that's where i went to buy all the winter gear for golf you know See, so I, I loved <laughs> i loved sports authority when i was a kid like in, in orlando like me too. Sports that's, authority that's literally was, where i went like i we like my family spent like hundreds of dollars on black friday because we didn't buy anything all year and we bought everything on black friday <laughs> and, <laughs> so that's why i bring up sports authority but like i mean who wants to work at a cash register of sports authority for eight dollars an hour and i know a lot of oh, companies you, could, you couldn't Right. Amy, like, yeah, and eight dollars an hour. I'd be like, I'd be like, <laughs> you're gonna get what you pay for. You're gonna get <laughs> right. exactly what no, you exactly. pay for. Right, but a lot of companies, you know, and I know in years past, a lot of companies were like, okay, like we'll pay twenty bucks an hour to work Black Friday. You know, back then, when I say back then, I mean like three years ago. You know, pre-pandemic. Back then, companies and retailers didn't have that hard of a time looking for people to fill those roles because they, you know, it was time and a half or yeah, they'd offer, they'd offer a little bit better than what they normally did, and they'd say, right. "Oh, if you work Black Friday, you don't have to work like Christmas." Yeah, or and Christmas Eve obviously or the revenues are going to be great that year, so the cash is going to be there. But yeah, long way of me saying the two things that I saw were promising was wages rose 0.4 percent; they went up to 4.9 percent, or which means they're up 4.9 percent from a year ago. The second thing was leisure and hospitality. I mean, people are going back to work at bars and restaurants, which is awesome. Yeah, and then, of course, manufacturing. So manufacturing and leisure and hospitality. So one, two, and three were leisure and hospitality were one. And then tied for two was professional and business services mm-hmm. and manufacturing. Those are the, those are the two yeah, initiatives. Yeah, so it, it seems to suggest that what we've got is the economy is starting to come back. We're providing the services again. We're manufacturing equipment again. So it means, it means a few things. It means that... So let's look at manufacturing first. They're getting the raw materials they need to manufacture things. That means that they have Mm -hmm. the materials. It means that they have to, they're now getting the labor back in so they can actually do it. Well, to do a lot of that stuff, they're also going to need professional business services. All right. So those guys are back in the office or they're back. Yeah. yeah, Then you have the, you have the leisure hospitality, which means essentially is Mm -hmm. restaurants, bars. Yeah. And then another thing too, and I don't know if this was in the jobs report. I don't think this would be in the jobs report, but another report that I saw was retail profit margins are at all-time highs. Huge, yeah. I don't think that's. I don't think it's going to last. I'll just say that I, it's not going to last. It's going to go I, through the holiday season, in my opinion, but it's not going to last. I think the issue going through the holiday season is they may not have products to sell. That's one, and then two, which means the products they are selling profit margin is going to be higher. Absolutely, so I, th- I think and it's going to last through the holiday season. But yeah, and then of course, pro- the second problem is eventually the um, expense for labor is going to catch up. There you go, See, and then that. yeah, that's what I was going to say too. Now the average hourly worker makes twenty six dollars and twenty six cents an hour. People that are making less than that are looking around, going like, "Wait, what am I doing wrong here?" And they're yeah. going to go look to places like, I don't know. I don't want to throw any particular name out there, but let's just say a mega cap company that can afford to pay twenty five dollars an hour for you to work in their warehouse or whatever it is, and. 
boom. Yeah. Now they've left Whataburger and they've yeah, gone to absolutely. another company, right? I don't know. Pretty, no, pretty weird example. You would expect to see that. But I mean, mm. this seems like a, yeah. as good a time as any since we're talking about inflation and unemployment, mm-hmm. right? To, yeah. To take to kind of transition take the, over to take monetary the jump policy. into the main topic of tonight. Yes. Monetary policy. So, refill those glasses of whiskey and uh, let's have a refill conversation. Refill your whiskey, at, your Coke, your tea, whatever it is that you're drinking right now. Yeah. And get ready. Because it's uh, yeah. time. To talk I don't have about a, I don't have a joke. Policy. I don't have a joke. Yeah. I want to have a joke there, but I don't it's, have one. But it's it's uh, it's time to return some videotapes. How about that one? Um, How about that one? Okay, wait. You didn't like on. did you like that one? I did, but I've I've got another one. It's it's working. It's not gonna be good. It's gonna be really bad. Okay. All right, guys, let's get ready to deflate the balloon in front of the unemployed clown because it's time to talk about monetary policy. <laughs> No, dude. I'm sorry, man. I like to return the videotapes one a little bit better. I, I I'll, yeah. <laughs> sorry. It's fine. No, mine is really bad because it's 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 inflation and unemployment. I don't know. I was trying too hard. It's okay. So I know yeah. we've talked a little bit about monetary policy in the past, guys. But now we're going to talk about what monetary policy is. We've talked about a lot of different constituent parts of monetary policy, but now we're going to talk about it as a whole. Well, yeah, because we usually talk about monetary policy, like at least when we've brought it up in the past. It's in the, it's in the context of the inverted yield curve or the Absolutely. stuff like that, uh, monetary mm-hmm. versus fiscal policy. Yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about like oh well we're we're seeing changes in monetary policy we're seeing some changes in fiscal policy. We talked about oh hawkish versus dovish, but we've mm-hmm. never we've never fully kind of talked about it, the the full picture of what monetary policy is. So think of right. this as kind of this is kind of a part one of two, which is to say the two policies of economics because you have monetary and you have fiscal. We'll talk about fiscal in the future. Yes. But, but monetary policy is exactly like a clown in a balloon. You want a balloon dog, you inflate it very, very fast, tie it up and decorate it. And now all of a sudden it's not a balloon, it's a dog. Yeah. And then you fire the clown <laughs> and suddenly you've got a problem because, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. Good enough. Just kidding. Well, once you've got the dog, what do you need the clown for? <laughs> <laughs> and now, and see, and now you've got the very serious problem of stagflation because you've got rising unemployment okay. and rapid inflation. So that was the entire buildup. The entire joke was building to that. And here's the thing. Okay. There you go. I regret nothing. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> now you have officially surpassed my, you got to return the videotapes thing, which is a reference to the movie American Psycho. If no one's seen it, it's yeah. a great movie. It is it's um, classic. Finance movie um although not really so, a finance movie yeah it's it's but. i would say finance is more the setting yeah than the, than than the, the, the actual the plot yeah it's got um, nothing to do with it but the mergers and acquisitions line that's that's a good line for that movie but <laughs> it's classic it is um, but so okay. the clown so the clown gets fired or let's back up before the clown gets fired let's say the clown inflates the balloon let's, let's mm-hmm. do that let's, let's start there clown gets hired unemployment so, goes down inflation goes up oof. so that can be an issue. So suddenly, to control inflation, we fire the clown to stop inflating balloons. And now, oh, okay, well, inflation is going to stop, yeah. but unemployment's going up. We've got a problem. So the first thing to talk about with monetary policy is we need to talk about who enacts monetary policy. Yeah, and yeah, and, exactly who would that be, James? Well, who right now it's our boy, uh, it's our boy Jay Powell. No, it's the Federal Jay Reserve, so headed by which is headed by Jay the Hawk Powell. Um, <laughs> God. He's a, if you look at I mean, this is and this is the only reason okay. I, if you look at him historically he's a pretty hawkish guy when it comes to rates. <laughs> no, I just um, I love the nickname Jay the Hawk Pal. Yeah, no, he's very hawkish. Um, which um, he has historically, been, and that's why I like him. I think it's really funny because they they we're up to see who the who the next nominee for the for the head of the Federal Reserve is in the next few yeah. weeks. I'd like to see Powell retained. I think he has a very good working relationship with Yellen over yes, Treasury. They do. Absolutely. And, and and I also think he's a hawk, which well, let me first yeah. I know he is a hawk. 
and I want that. I, I and I know his politically he's a he's a Republican, but to me my response is I don't care. I, don't care. Who cares? I want Who a hawk. I want a hawk yeah. in there because we need one. Well, and he's the one that took Janet Yellen's job. So like, I which mean, is funny because 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 she's Yell's, not the treasure. Yeah, because she's because um, she took Mnuchin's job. She's uh, so, Janet the Dove Yellen. Yeah, she's dovish. Yeah, she still <laughs> seems to be very dovish still. Mm-hmm. And that's the narrative that seems like the monetary arm is trying to you know provoke on us but anyways let's, just, let's, let's talk about actual raw monetary policy so, let's talk about, so the, the, the first thing is so the federal reserve really has a dual purpose and so the, mm-hmm. so we we look at what the federal reserve is it has it has two jobs but it's really one job it's a balancing act between keeping unemployment low mm-hmm. and inflation under control right so if you ever look at a relationship between unemployment and inflation they have a negative correlation right yep. so the higher one is the lower the other usually usually is. so yes. we do have well, stagflation I mean, and we'll give you an episode on stagflation well yeah one I mean, of these days way, i promise but yeah low unemployment means everyone's working everyone's getting paid everyone's There's getting paid monetary supply. can afford to buy stuff right so you yeah. can afford to buy stuff inflation goes up but at so. the same time if you, also if you can afford to buy stuff you can also afford to borrow money so mm-hmm. now your buying power can really be leveraged so now the overall aggregate buying power across the country goes up uh, monetary supply is super high what does that oh, yeah. do to inflation well as you know as we've seen in the last year and a half monetary supply has gone up like crazy if you look at the m1 m2 graph monetary supply is insanely high that's where you get that 5.4 or whatever 5.6% inflation. Yeah, exactly. And so so, that's, so so the Fed has so the Fed's dual purpose is to keep those two under control, right? So mm-hmm. essentially and what they've stated is that they want to keep unemployment at I think they they say under 4%, but I, I know they prefer like 2.6%. They want to keep really under 3%, but Yeah, so they want to keep so that, so essentially the Fed stated stated view is that they want to keep unemployment below 3% and they want to keep inflation below right around 2%. Yes. Right. Is what they, is what they've stated. And for the next year, they're going to go with higher than that for inflation, but that's just because they know that they have to let pressure release off somewhere. And um, having more people unemployed is less desirable than having inflation a little higher than you might ideally like. Both are pretty undesirable, but Yeah, yeah, but one is less one is theoretically less damaging, right? Mm, so, correct. so that's yeah. that's the who of monetary policy. Now, what is it? It is the fast. It is the Mustang of the economic uh, car shed. Mm-hmm. It is the fast policy that the Fed uses to control those two factors, right? To try and lower unemployment and keep inflation yeah. under control. And they have multiple tools to do this. The tough thing is, it's like I know the Fed is supposed to control employment. The Fed can't actually control employment, right? It's independent private businesses that really control. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, that control employment. So, so the Fed has to try and make they have to entice those businesses to yeah. hire people. One of the or ways they, they, they have can to do they have it. to try and create an environment in which that's desirable. Right. Yeah. So if all of a sudden demand goes up, demand for goods and services, if that goes up, then to meet that demand, businesses have to hire people. How do you get that demand to go up? Well, you just flood the economy with money. If everybody wants a haircut, you got to hire more barbers. Yeah. So now, enforcing, reinforcing what you were saying. Exactly. Create that environment. Now, a big, a big word that the Fed likes to use is actually it's they want it to be a control. It's it's they want to control unemployment and inflation to create. And here's the here's the beautiful word that the the Fed likes to use. Oh, no. Sustainable growth. The word being sustainable. Oh. And so that's why you see, well, why does the Fed have the three tools that they have? Why mm-hmm. do they use these three tools? Why do they do these things? Things are growing. Mm-hmm. Why are they trying to yeah. slow things down? Well, and it's tough to kind of determine what is the output and what is the input. But let's just say this. Monetary supply is a big factor in unemployment 
slash employment and inflation. Oh yeah, you agree? Well, yeah, the yeah. Uh, so, supply of money. If we look at like a, a, my favorite hyperinflation in history is is Spain when the silver yeah. was coming in from the New World and in, in the in the mm-hmm. 1600s. Because you suddenly see that you know the price of food and everything else just skyrockets because there is so much oh, yeah. money that it lo- that the money yeah. lost its value. Yeah. So that's the thing is the Fed controls the supply of money. Mm-hmm. So I guess this kind of goes into the three ways that they control the supply yeah. of money. Perfect. And th- and thus the su- I guess the velocity of money as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. So. What if- yeah, what are the three ways? Well, so the, the first big one is interest rates. So that's the big one we always mm. talk about. So that's where the hawkish dovish comes from that we've that we've yeah. talked about with uh, Jay the Hawk Pal and uh, <laughs> yeah. Jay the Dove Yellen, which is really funny because I actually want to change that. I just want it to be Hawk Pal and Dove Yellen because that sounds like those could be names if they, they both grew be. up on a on a hippie economics commune. Yeah, like Ethan Hawk, but it's like you know what I'm gonna Ethan need. Hawk, but I'm gonna get my PhD in economics <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna go work for the Fed. Yeah, screw being in movies with Nicholas Cage. I'll work my way up through the St. Louis Fed. And just who needs to be a Coppola? Let's yeah, be a pal. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, the fir- yeah the fir- but the first main tool is um, is interest rates. So that's what they use kind of to control or the discount window, as mm-hmm. as the, as the Fed mm-hmm. would call it, the discount window, which is to say the right. interest rates that they use to control essentially overnight borrowing rates to an extent, but mainly how they control how. Um, how they loan money and how how banks yeah, loan money to each other. Go. When we say the interest rate has changed or the, you know, let's let's raise interest rates to one and a quarter or whatever it is, it's basically the rate in which the Federal Reserve lends money to the big banks on Wall Street. Or and how those big banks loan to each other, other. smaller regional yeah, each other and smaller regional banks. Yeah, right. So the so, Fed essentially sets sets the base. The, the Fed says, hey, look, if we're loaning you money and we tell you when you're borrowing money from us and when we're not and when you're not, because mm-hmm. it's very much the Fed tells the banks when that happens. Yeah. Because the Fed has a different power, which we'll talk about in a little bit. That's how they mm-hmm. kind of compel compliance. But they tell <laughs> yeah. the bank, but the second they tell a bank, hey, um, we're raising interest rates, 25 basis points to, you know, 50 to half a percent. <laughs> Suddenly- yeah. The banks are going. Banks then turn around and go. Well, we can't loan money for less than that to people because then we're losing money. Yeah, so Um, it affects things like your mortgage rates. You know, a car loan, student loans, any sort of credit card loans. Right. Technically, now really, this affects new loans, loans that are going to be issued. So old loans. Yeah, yeah, those are untouched. That's kind of a critical point. Right, but at least you know if you really want to get complicated, like you know, if you have a mortgage and the mortgage company sells your mortgage, right. If interest rates go up, then whatever your mortgage is, if that bank wants to sell a mortgage and interest rates go up, then your mortgage is less valuable. If interest rates go down, then your mortgage is more valuable. Yeah, that's but, that's to a third-party player, not to you. Because remember, to yes, you, exactly. your mortgage is exactly as valuable as it always was because you know what? Yes. You're buying a house. You have a house you're living yeah. in. So. If it's not an adjustable rate, um, even if it's just a rate. There's a finite amount. It can be, it, there's a, finite, it, it, there's yeah. a teaser rate, and then it tells you what it's going to go to after that, when it balloons. Yeah. But yeah, like if, if you sign a 30-year fixed rate, that's your fixed rate for 30 years. Like let's just say you have a 3% 30-year fixed rate. I don't know why I decided to go down this rabbit hole, but it's fascinating. Why not? But if you have a 3% fixed rate you know, across a 30-year timeline, and all of a sudden interest rates go from 1% to you know, 0.75%, then all of a sudden your loan that returns 
3% is a little bit more enticing. So whoever your underwriter is, they can package your mortgage with other 3% mortgage rates or whatever it is, put it into a securitized asset and then sell it to somebody else, right? Don't so, worry, we'll explain the um, entire securitization process in a future episode as well. Yeah. It is on the episode, it is on the list for the new year, I promise. Yeah. But yeah, if interest rates go down, debt that is currently out there that has been issued that is still reaching its term, the value of that debt is going to go up. And, you know, if interest rates go up, that the value of that debt's going to go down. Yeah. Anyways. It's essentially, it's it's the entire premise of premium versus discount. Yeah. If interest rates around it are higher than the interest rate that you're paying, buying your debt isn't that attractive because yeah. it's better to issue new debt. Whereas if your interest rate is yeah. paying out above what other interest rate is, kind of the discount interest rate is, you'd say, oh, I actually really would love to buy that loan because- it's paying more yeah. than a loan I could issue right now. Yeah, because debt is generally not as risky depending on what the debt is, but mortgages, you know, despite 2008, is still well, yeah. pretty secure. And if the risk-free rate is at 1.5% and you're willing to take on a little bit more risk to get a 3% return, then there it is, right? Um, if, you know, if the risk-free rate goes from 1.5% to 1%, then that 3%, you know, not as risky rate still uh, I mean, that just becomes a little bit more valuable. So that, that goes into the premium discount. Our value guess, of, a, of, a, yeah, of, a, value of, a, of debt, of, of yeah, script. Which we'll, we'll talk about more for sure. But yes, back to uh, monetary back policy. To monetary policy. So, thing, so what they do is they, they turn around and tell banks, we're loaning at this rate, we're loaning at this rate. So right now in the US, it's 0 to 0.25%, right? So it's somewhere in there. Very low. He's going to say it is, it's yeah. zero. The Fed is loaning banks money for free. Pretty much. To keep things yeah. going. Now, which why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. In that case, yeah. it's like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you borrow money? It's a borrower's market. Lenders aren't getting any return. Yeah, it's, but- it's not so great to be a lender. It's fantastic to be a borrower right now. That's why, you know, re, um, if you had the equity to do it, you could get a better rate. <laughs> you know, uh, refinancing yeah. a home. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant the last year, too. Oh, but- I mean, so that's interest rates. That's the first tool. It's the it's the fastest and the easiest tool the Fed has to manipulate because they can manipulate mm-hmm. it. As we saw in March of 2020, um, they called an emergency meeting and they dropped it and they called an yeah. emergency meeting five days later and they dropped it again. Right. It was, it was, it was just, they, they could do it when they do it. Usually they announce it that usually they telegraph it. It's, it's, I mean, it's just a quarterly thing. Usually. Yes. Now, usually the fed will, federal market committee will telegraph that they intend yeah, to raise FOMC. rates. So the FOMC is the body that controls the overnight, that, that interest rates, so those interest rates. And usually uh-huh. they will telegraph that they intend to raise rates. And then a meeting three weeks later or three months later, they will actually raise rates. So they right. try not to do anything without warning. The only time they do yeah. things without warning is when there is a pandemic, no time to I. lose. Yeah. yeah. When they, when they have to act quickly. Yeah. So the second, yeah, the second tool is uh, what reserves. Is that where you're going to go into? I was going to say, yeah, the, I'm going to say reserve requirement. Absolutely. It's by changing the reserve requirement. Okay. Bank. Yeah. So this is pretty fascinating, but it's usually a percentage. And I think the, isn't the inverse of the reserve the money the is it the money multiplier is that the is that the vocab word for that yes that's yeah so is. if you think about the reserve yes. the reserve and the money multiplier go hand in hand because the two of them added together equals one well I thought um, basically I, well, so the is, reserve is the requirement whatever that rate is if you multiply that number with the money multiplier that becomes one yes I'm sorry did I say add if you I said I said if you add them yeah, together if you add that was that was like what I mean if you multiply 5.2. them together you get one you should get one yeah, if you don't okay, either cool. either we're both wrong or something is horribly wrong in, with your calculator oh no um, yeah well or something is wrong with uh, the economy or something it's, yeah, it's also just the possible <laughs> so problem there yeah so don't put too hard on yourself man yeah I I have to be I'm not gracious oh yeah that's right you're not so. The um so here's how change so changing the reserve requirements. So the so the really cool thing is if you think about what the Federal Reserve is, um the Federal Reserve is essentially a bank 
Except it yeah. only banks with bank. It, it only it does it only banks with banks and very very large companies. It's uh, yeah. It prefers not to bank with very large companies because if it's doing business with them, there's COI. an emergent issue. There's an emergency. That is why. Yeah, but it's so, also COI, right? So like, because the Federal Reserve is technically an entity of the federal government, right? I mean, they they are, but they aren't. They are, but they. But aren't. at the same time, can the Federal Reserve go bankrupt? Well, no, because it prints money. There you go. So that's what I'm saying is there's, so, yeah, there's no, a COI it, argument if they do business with companies like Apple and Google, which they do, but we'll get yeah. into that later. And so, so, we'll, so we'll talk about that when we get to, because there's actually, t- so there's the three main tools and then there is a fourth tool, like a fourth arm of tools that we don't the, really. the fourth main one was it's unconv- also it's, kind it's of unconven- three, it's 3.5. It is. It's just called, uh, it's yeah. unconventional monetary policy. So there's, and, yeah, what that, so there's, and what that usually means is it's a break the glass plan on. Well, can we legally right. do this? Yes. Is it problematic? Yes. Is this an emergency? Yes. Right. So yeah. take all yeah. three boxes. So, okay. So there's one, uh, the overnight rate. Two, which is the which reserve changing the Federal Reserve requirements. Let's, let's talk more about that. And then there's three, um, like actually buying assets. Yeah. And then three so, so three is three is open market. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about reserve requirements. So reserve requirements are really, really are, are kind of the easiest one to explain, um, even more so than changing interest rates. And it's essentially really, yeah. the Federal Reserve turns to banks and says, OK, you're required to hold blank percentage of your deposits in reserve. Right. So either so it, someone- it, so it can sit in cash on your balance sheet mm-hmm. or you can put it into reserves on ours well, so right so it's basically what does that mean like um if all these people from this neighborhood deposited a million dollars in aggregate into a bank into a savings account and it's got reserve requirements of 20 of 20 percent then means the 200,000 of that million has to remain in the bank yeah and then because it's in a savings account the bank can turn around and lend out the other eight hundred thousand. Theoretically, yes, as much as that. They may not have loans exceeding. That. Yeah, they, I mean, they can loan up to that much if they want. To. Yeah. Now, often they won't. They'll keep a lot of that. They'll keep some of that on yeah. hand for loans that go bad, for loans that are defaulted on, things of that nature. But as a whole, yeah, mm-hmm. they could if they were really to go willing to go to the wire. They can they can issue. They can take eighty percent. They can Absolutely. they can loan out as much as eighty percent of their deposits. Yeah. Now, so yeah. so why does yeah. changing the reserve <laughs> requirement affect that? Well, say suddenly. Things are going way too fast. Too much money's out in the system, and the bank and, and and the Federal Reserve is like, we need to slow down the amount of money out there. All right, we'll raise reserve requirements. They turn to the bank and they go, hey, you know how it was twenty percent? Yeah. Well, now it's twenty five. Suddenly, the bank is going to need to stop issuing as many loans. It's gonna. It goes from having to hold on to two hundred thousand dollars to having to hold on to two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars. And generally There's speaking, less money out there to loan. Yeah, and I would like to think the money that down. a lot of banks give themselves wiggle room. So it's not like they if do. the reserve requirement is twenty percent, they're gonna loan out all eight hundred thousand dollars. I mean, that that'd be foolish. At least I think it would be. I don't know. I don't run a bank, and if I did, James, you'd be the first to know. I'm, uh, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. So if, yeah. So if a bank, <laughs> if the Federal Reserve ups its reserve requirement. Banks make fewer loans. They hold on to. They have to hold on to more capital. Exactly. However, on the other hand, people have been saving too much money. Yeah. People, you know, we need to get money out there being spent. We need to make it cheaper. We don't want to lower interest. We just want to make it easier for people for the bank to. Put more money out there. Okay, let's lower reserves. So it used to be twenty percent. Now it's ten percent. So instead of yep. oh, we can loan eight hundred thousand dollars. Now it's we can loan out nine hundred thousand dollars. Right. So it's a, all of a sudden the banks are allowed to dish out money. You know, if you're trying to start a new business, banks can be like, yeah, we have a little bit more wiggle room, so we'll loan you that extra money yeah. to let you start your new business or whatever Absolutely. it is. Now I want to stop it right here and just talk about 
money velocity, the velocity sure. of money. Perfect time. Yeah, because lower interest rates, as you can see, that clearly encourages the faster velocity of money because if interest rates are at 15%, I mean, do you really want to take out a mortgage if you have to pay 15% over the course of 30 years? No. Like, I know I wouldn't want to. So, I mean, if you had to, you would, but like, you know, as soon as it goes down to 3%, you're going to refinance. Like, but if Absolutely. interest rates, but if it's free, if you could get a mortgage rate for 0.25%, which I mean, it's not, it's not going to happen, but if you could, I mean, everybody would be buying a house, mm-hmm. everybody would be refinancing. So like that encourages the velocity of money. Everybody wants to borrow when money is cheap, when interest rates are cheap and low. And no one wants to loan when it's cheap. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, if reserve requirements are low, it's like, you know what? I have, from the bank's perspective, I have a million dollars in cash. I'm trying to make money on as much of that million as I can, but I want to make it in a safe, relatively risk-free manner. The bank is going to want to loan out as much of it as it possibly can, generally speaking, if the reserve requirement is 20%, then you know they kind of tie down that last 20% and they can only loan out that $800,000. Whereas- So, so side, kind of, I, th- if- I, think I, I think I see what you're talking about. So, so we've talked about with, with, where loans go and here's kind of how I'll explain the difference between the two of them and, and kind of what they mean for the, the broader economy. Because right, the, essentially what these two tools do is they put more cash, they either put cash in or they take cash out of the economy. Yeah, but they also circulate now, it too. So the same dollar gets spent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In- and, that's, and that's on velocity. Yeah. And that's the that's velocity, right? Yeah. So it's, it's we know that the velocity of money says that I can, right. I can increase the velocity of a dollar goes further. It goes through more hands, which those two tools affect the velocity of money, both of them. But if we look at, to me, the cool thing is if you look at what interest rates do, interest rates, lowering interest rates allows people, in theory, with mm-hmm. less opportunity to borrow money. Because they could afford yeah. to borrow well, at a lower more, rate. More people right? want to borrow at a lower yeah. rate. Well, well it's, it's one, more people general. want to, but two, more people can afford to. Yeah. Whereas if you leave interest rates high and you just change reserve requirements, banks are able to issue more loans, but only so many people can afford loans. Right. So if it's if what you're trying to do right. is say we want to give more people more responsible people. Not responsible, yeah, there's that aspect too. Yeah. It, there's the aspect of essentially like yeah, the relationship between reserve requirements. Yeah, there's a relationship rates. there, and that's and that's and that's yeah. what I'm trying to get to is this, this relationship where essentially if if I gotcha. lower reserve requirements and interest rates, I'm kind of encouraging banks to make shitty loans, yeah. a la 2008. <laughs> yeah, very true. If I no, raise yeah, requirements, absolutely. if I raise interest and reserve requirements, I'm encouraging banks only to make like triple A grade loans, right. right? But that damages economic opportunity and growth. Too low can also damage economic opportunity and growth, see 2008. So you're doing this really interesting dance between the two of essentially like, well, I need to get more money out of the economy, but I need to get it into people with, you know, maybe less means hands. Well, then I should probably lower interest rates and requirements and lower reserves a little bit to encourage banks to go talk to, be willing to talk to people with less means. Whereas if I just say, well, we're going to lower rates, but I leave reserve requirements high, a bank might be like, well, that has yeah. the bank force people out of it. Whereas but if you go same, the other way, I lower requirements, mm-hmm. believe interest rates high. You can price people out of it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, if you, so it if all you, depends on what you're trying to do, really. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, if more people are borrowing, the aggregate buying power goes up. Absolutely. Right? And if that goes up, because no one, like, you're not going to borrow money unless you're either going to invest it or spend it. Yeah. So, and you don't borrow money just to sit on it. You, yeah. And it, honestly, if you're investing money in the sense of, like, if you take on a giant loan to invest, you're probably doing it to start a business, and when that happens, you're spending money. You buy, you know, you're paying a contractor to refinish. Yeah, to redo a location. You're is. paying your employees to work. You're buying inventory. Yeah, so, um, so you're spending yeah. it. 
And then it hits, it hits those three guys' accounts, and then they put it in the bank, yeah. and they go spend it. And so, right? So there's that's the velocity, right? The more money out there, the faster the velocity. Which, which all that stuff, fast velocity of money, lower interest rates, um, very high employment, as you can see, will make inflation creep up. Mm -hmm. At the same time, if inflation is creeping up too fast, the Fed can pull back and say, yo, let's, uh, let's make borrowing a little bit less accessible or at least less enticing. Um, let's, let's put pressure on banks and say, let's, let's, Hey, you guys can't borrow that much. We need you. We need you to be a little more discerning with who you're loaning your money to. We want you to slow down the number of loans you're issuing. And so banks then are increasing your reserve requirement. Yeah, there you go. So I just wanted to stop real quick and touch on that. Absolutely. Now let's go into the third portion, which is, so the, the, the third would one you describe is, this? Like, what's the name for it? No, so the, this third one is actually called um, open market operations. This oh. is when it buys and sells U.S. treasuries to influence the amount of money it banks. So reserve cool. requirements yeah. means, hey, you need, to, you need to give us more money that you can't use. It's going to sit in our vaults, not in yours. Whereas open market operations says, hey, we want to... This is repo operations, which we talked about historically. Yes, yeah. this, is when the, this is when the central bank is going to buy or This is when well, it's, the Federal yeah, Reserve- unconventional, but it seems to be more common Well, no, now, this, is, this is not unconventional. These are repo, repo. These are just the basic repo programs. So this is just the- Reverse repos, not this unconventional. Uh, I mean, it's unconventional because it well, doesn't so happen. It's, it, so when it's, when it's just treasuries- it's not unconventional. It's open. It's the. It's just the the open market operations. Okay. Open market operations exist to affect the overnight lending rate. That's all. So what does that mean? What it means is essentially open market rates. So the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, comes together and they decide that they want the overnight rate to be somewhere. They want. They decide what they want it to be. Basically, um, they try to get into consensus, and then essentially they buy or sell treasuries to and from banks. To try and force banks to lend money to the government or vice versa. Yeah, to either put money in or take money out to create yeah. a short-term interest rate, short-term being essentially overnight. Wow. Yeah, that that sounds a little bit more manipulative, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Which I feel like that's exactly what it is. It's, it's not something that they use pretty often, even though so, yeah, so, I feel like when the Federal Reserve was established, this is like, let's not use this arm very much, but nowadays it's like, yeah, it's... Yeah, Let's use it all so the time. The, yeah, yeah, the the um, so open market operations is essentially it's it's used to manipulate bank reserves to get the desired outcome for the federal funds rate for overnight lending. So it's not the discount mm-hmm. rate, which is the rate at which they'll loan to banks generally. It's the overnight yeah. rate. They're trying to manipulate the rate at which banks loan money to each other. That's, oh. And that's that's what that does. Mm-hmm. So, how does um, trading treasuries actually affect that? So, essentially, by making the trade of treasuries, they are instead of telling banks what they have to keep in reserve by buying or selling treasuries to a bank at a given time, they are manipulating that reserve. So, it's not selling you have to keep twenty five percent. So, so say you're the bank and you have to have 20% reserve. I show up and I say, hey, I need you to buy blank treasuries from me. And you go, okay, so you give me cash, I give you treasuries, right? You now need to loan less money out because you have to maintain your 20% reserve. Because you've already bought the treasuries. Yeah. So So you're giving me cash. You have to keep your reserve at the right spot. But because because I'm selling you something and you're giving me your money, you then have to pull more money in or stop sending as much money out to maintain the reserve. It's not, think of it not as changing the reserve. Think of it as me changing your liquidity 
So, right. but, but knowing you have to keep your reserve at a certain rate. So it's, um, yeah. Well, what's crazy was like, this used to not be a very commonly used. It was, arm, yeah, you're, you're right. Now, it was absolutely, uh, I mean, now it's like every bank, every bank, every has day, a federal, like every time we do a bond auction, you have to buy this many bonds, Yep. you know? Cause like, I mean, honestly, who wants to buy, like, I mean, th- these bonds suck. Like you're not beating inflation with these U.S. Not right now. Yeah, yeah of course not. Yeah. So. Who wants to buy these bonds? You figure you're, know, still, you're still doing better than a German Bund. Of course, yeah. Which is, yeah. It's negative. <laughs> so, I mean, another problem. But like, yeah. yeah, like, you know, who wants to buy these bonds? Nobody does. I mean, if people want to trade around them, that's fine. But like, who wants to buy these these government bonds? Well, these banks have to now. Well, it, I mean, because, I suppose it all depends on what the discount, what discount right. I'm getting for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if it's, you know a, I mean? whether or not it's, it's, it's but, one of those inflation protected securities or, or you oh, yeah. tip or tips. So think, of, so think but, of it this way. So think yeah. of it's like, so it's kind of the way that the analogy I'll use, get your drinks ready, folks. It's ready. Is, it's mine is, I can't speak for everybody else. But, essentially, yeah. I'm telling you, you have to have a certain amount of ice in your cocktail, oh. right? So oh, why? Well, because it's, it's, uh, I don't well, know. Say it's this. the difference between one big cube and many small cubes. But it's also, you know, how big is the cube? Because right. like if the cube is big, the volume of liquid or whatever it is in your glass is bigger. Yeah. Or or, or maybe maybe a better analogy so, would be um you're making a cocktail and you know you have to have two parts rye, uh, one part vermouth, right? Any bitters? Yeah, two or three dashes. But like those it. come later. Um okay. so I told you you have to you, <laughs> okay, you can't ex- that, that, those are the ratios you have to you have to exist. And now suddenly I give you four ounces of rye whereas historically historically i would have given you two now i'm giving you four you're stuck with the ratios i've given you the reserve requirement i've given you the recipe i've given you that changes the size of your drink it doesn't change the ratio the mix of your cocktail it changes the size of your cocktail right if i give you two more ounces of rye you can increase the amount of vermouth and And that's bitters yeah a little more bitters right and you've got a double manhattan but if I cut your mountain in half, suddenly you can only do a one ounce of rye, a half ounce of vermouth, one dash of bitters, and you've got a half Manhattan. It's still a Manhattan. It's just yeah. the size of Manhattan. So that's the open market operations yeah. is when I essentially take away, I take volume from you yeah. or give volume to you. Yeah. So it's like, this is your reserve requirement, but oh wait, we need to borrow this much of your money as of, well. Of your, yeah. You'll, you'll have a return, right? So there's it, a trade-off, right? Like you'll get this kind of return but you have to lend us this kind of money. Exactly. Another thing that's under the umbrella of the open market operations, I think is the, um, I don't know what it's called, but when the Federal Reserve actually does business with other businesses like Apple, right? When they buy Apple bonds or when they buy JP Morgan bonds, which they do. They do, yeah. They have a lot of them, which is concerning in my opinion. I agree. It's, it's a little too much picking winners and losers. Yeah, I, I know. Talk about picking winners and losers, but that's also a way that they can increase or decrease if you want to call it that the monetary supply oh yeah that's another form of monetary policy yeah no you're, you're definitely right so so those are the three basic tools those are the three right. most commonly used tools yeah. then we run into what's called exactly uh, unconventional monetary policy which is yeah absolutely conventional it's not abnormal at all and it's very normal isn't it just it's, like it's, emergency programs it is it is all the emergency programs that you've heard of from 2008 and from 2020 that is unconventional monetary policy it is where well, i feel like nowadays everything is conventional and nothing is unconventional but well it's called for, unconventional because it's only about 12 years old most of it okay 13 years old most of it isn't old enough to drive so let alone drink um, oh yeah no which is funny <laughs> because let's be honest it would make more sense if it was old enough to drink or if it was um, already drinking well yeah because i was gonna say because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense as it stands you know yeah but anyways unconventional monetary policy what happened in 20 in 2008 and uh 
of course, what happened last year that forced us to exert these unconventional monetary policies. Well, so we had in 2008 we had a we had a we had an actual liquidity problem, and then in 2020 we had an actual economic yeah. problem that entertainingly didn't involve liquidity. So I don't I don't quite know well, why but it could, well, things well, were done well, the way they the were done. Is, it, it could have it, it, it could have. have gone there, but it, it wasn't there. So I think they like they solved the liquidity problem yeah. before they dealt with anything else. Which I guess if you're the Fed, you only have the monetary policy, right? So Fed the Fed only has monetary policy. So yeah. what? Um, Unconventional monetary policy boils down to is it, it boils down to two letters, and uh, it's a machine that goes. Yeah, it starts with uh, it starts with Quebec because that's the uh, in Q. the NATO phonetic alphabet. A Quebeco, if you Quebec. really want to play a game. Quebeco. Whoa, whoa. I'm here all whoa. week. You just blew my mind. Yeah, <laughs> Q Quebec and Echo. My God. So if you want to call it Quebeco, absolutely. All right. Unconventional Quebeco, Q E. Oh shit! Echo, we did, didn't Quebec, we? Echo. Quantitative I, I easing. I did. I just okay. I didn't know that that's what it stood for. Just kidding. I totally did. But uh, I hope so. Uh, yeah, quant quantitative easing, man. Uh, this is a fun subject. I love talking about this subject because it, it should probably end up being its own subject one of these days. But yeah, because there's so many different forms of quantitative easing. Not that I know all Absolutely. of them, but it's mainly just um, like it's an immediate reaction. If you want to call it knee-jerk, let's call it knee-jerk. It's a knee-jerk reaction. That'll do it. The Federal yeah, Reserve. That's why it's unconventional. Uh, this happened back in 2008. Uh, it's happened last year in 2020 when, at the beginning of the pandemic when the Frankly, Federal still, Reserve- It's still, it's still happening, happening now. When, They're finally going to taper sometime this month. Yeah, I know. So they, they're tapering from, what, 120 to 105 yeah. billion dollars in bond purchasing. Mm -hmm. But QE is essentially just- the Federal Reserve saying, hey, we're going to buy a bunch of debt from everyone, from everybody, from banks, from big tech, from all these different people, from mortgage companies. One of the things that they buy, one of the key securities that they buy when they do QE is mortgage-backed securities. Oh, yeah, MBS. So, which like, this was, this was a prominent thing back last year uh, when the U.S. Federal Reserve announced a QE plan of $700 billion. Which, so, which folks, yeah. $700 billion might be the number you remember because that's the total amount of money the Treasury asked for in 2008 to try and get through the subprime crisis. Really? That was the, the initial number? Or was that No, they asked, $700 billion was what they asked for for TARP. Really? And then they yep. negotiated down to $250 billion? Mm. Well, it was it was TARP and other programs. It wasn't just, it, but it was essentially it was Treasury needed seven hundred billion dollars to operate. Gotcha. That is what they got from the government. Yeah, but QE. I mean, I feel like we talked about QE before, but I don't know. We've done a lot of episodes. I've had a lot of. We've drinks. talked about QE, but we've never talked about it as yeah. as a as a thing for monetary as as it exists in monetary policy, which yeah, is to say in that the it's, sense of it being an unconventional. Yeah, it is form the it is unconventional policy. monetary policy that QE quantitative easing. Is they're putting cash out into companies by buying those companies' debt? Now, theoretically, this this works because the government will get its money back eventually. Yeah, because it pays the Federal Reserve back, um, which is like essentially what TARP was. I, and, and TARP was a very I mean, lucrative program. TARP, gonna, uh, we, TARP was very. Some point in December, we're yeah. going to try and do an episode on TARP and on you know Warren yeah. Buffett and many others said it was one of the best federal programs yeah. ever. But it's also hindsight twenty twenty, right? Like in two thousand thirteen, we can all look back five years ago and be like, oh, TARP. It was a great idea, but boy, the time, there was a point in 2008 where people were like, "No, what? yeah, it's, it's not the ridiculous." Yeah, they was like, "We could just do this." What? Yeah, so it's it's yeah. a um, so quantitative easing is the big one. The first one is they buy they buy long term debt. Essentially, is the big one. They don't want to buy short term debt because yeah, the problem with short term one. debt is if it comes due soon and you're still in the crisis, 
well, the company probably doesn't have the money, but if you're buying long-term debt from a company, you can put the capital in now, know you're going to get your capital back later, and hopefully by the time they're paying you back, the price is over and you've made a profit as the government on this. Now, there's also secondary QE, which is an an emergency thing, which you can technically buy securities now, which is to say say the actual equity in firms. Now that... My understanding is that's illegal for well, the, no, Fed. No, the Fed. Can't you can't, yeah. That. So the Fed can't buy equity. The only thing that the Fed can buy in terms of is securities debt. of privately owned companies is debt. Yes, is yeah, bonds. Yeah, can only right? buy, can only buy, buy other companies. They bonds. can't. So not even, nothing, nothing convertible. Not, like none that, of that. Just, just that doesn't bond. bond right? Now that so. doesn't bind every central bank. It just binds the central bank of the United States. The Federal Reserve of the United States cannot buy shares in any company because that that would be i agree that would be very very dangerous that'd be a problem that's that's just the first step of the road to nationalization there's another (laughs) so here's another um unconventional monetary policy which essentially is that uh they can go to negative interest rates that's unconventional it's technically considered it is considered unconventional you know what that's also technically considered it's interest it's still interest rates but well it's considered it's also considered absurd well absolutely 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 well i mean unless you're germany (laughs) and in which case it's i'm sure a very well considered idea and you guys know exactly what you're on about or japan yeah so it's it's, so negative interest rate policy is actually is is also considered an unconventional monetary policy weird in japan i can't quite speak to it i haven't looked into why they're necessarily doing it although the reason you do it is because you're trying to encourage people to spend versus save because negative interest rates means you lose money saving it versus spending it weird in yeah. germany i understand why they want it spent because germany's loaned a lot of if you've ever watched clark and Daw, they've loaned a lot of money to countries that can't afford to pay them back because they've spent all that money they borrowed from germany <laughs> to buy german well, things yeah uh, <laughs> which i don't know i everybody's got a lot of problems but yeah if the U.S. ever goes negative, we've got much um, bigger problems. Yeah, remember to uh, liquidate everything, and um, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I have no idea what I would do if U.S. were to go negative. Long the VIX, long <laughs> VIX calls, and long VIX ETFs. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll worship you as the more gracious host for I mean, all eternity. I don't even know where the VIX would be. It, we'd have to renegotiate VIX. VIX Grace standards, yeah, I know. At that point, like a VIX of forty, I'd be gracious. Might still, still be too low. Yeah, I right. was gonna say. But uh, with that said, um, I like the time bow on it. Hopefully, you learned something about monetary policy and QE. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk more about QE at some point. We absolutely are. Love so right now, it's QE. it's just we have to talk about it as it's a part of unconventional monetary policy. But QE in general, it is a really fascinating part of emergency economics, of emergency monetary policy. And so, yeah, I think we absolutely should, because I think, like I said, guys, in the next few weeks before December, we're going to talk about fiscal policy, which is the other half of this equation, kind of. Yeah, exactly. So the ways you can control money supply, monetary, and I guess cash velocity, if you will, it's monetary policy and it's fiscal policy. And fiscal policy. And so so when we talk about fiscal policy, then we'll talk about how how QE looks there, and then we'll talk about QE on its own because it yeah. is a fascinating topic. If you if you really look at the number, it of, really is about the kind of it's it's considered a doomsday scenario. But boy, it's, you know, generally it only gets brought, trotted out around doomsday. So. Yeah, but if you want to look good before doomsday, you can go check out our stuff at junkonomics.myspreadshot.com that's d-o-u-n-k-e-n-o-m-i-c-s dot m-y-s-p-r-e-a-d-s-h-o-p dot c-o-m you too can grab some awesome hoodies hoodies, hats, posters stickers for your laptops everyone, let everyone know what you're about you can get a yeah. uh, you can have an awesome day, hoodie yeah. to wear just like one of our patrons who was in the lounge the other night hanging out. Alex, you looked great. Nice. And so if you want to, if you Alex, too would like man. to become a patron, you can join us at patreon.com slash drunkonomics. There we go. D-R-U-N-K. 
E-N-O-M-I-C-S. I did it. It's slow. My man. I'm getting there. You did. So if you get on Drunk Enough. Yeah, if you want to keep the lights on, the ice cold, the fridge cold, and the liquor flowing, you can also support our cause there at the website that James just listed out for us. Thank you so much for doing that. Albeit slowly. Well, either way, I appreciate you giving Alex a shout out because Alex likes Van Halen. Alex Van Halen. I was going to say that. That's your name to me now, Alex, by the way. I'm just going to call you Van Halen. You're Alex Van Halen to me. You're the drummer for Eddie Van Halen. So, listen, worst nicknames have been given out. You may may or may not have heard about about Hawk Powell and Dove Yellen. (laughs) There you go. So you (laughs) have they will be worse nicknames than me calling Alex Alex Van Halen or AVH. Just saying. But yeah, with that said, I just want to say thank you so much, you all, for joining us or a dram of whiskey or whatever you were drinking yeah yeah. if you're driving somewhere hopefully it's just like water or coffee absolutely or you need to keep it drunkadomical guys drunkadomical is knowing when to drink and when not to drink yes and ultimately playing chestnut checkers filling and killing whatever it is if it's fit for the occasion whatever it is fill it and kill it absolutely it's like your trades from there so glad you all can join us hopefully you enjoy this presentation and last but not least I sincerely hope that for the rest of this week you, like the Vix, will... Um, get above 18. Whoa. Oh, wait. No. Stay drunk and amical no. by no. getting above 18. Whoa. I guess, okay, fine. No, Cheers, my friend. Just, yeah, just stay drunk and amical, guys. <laughs> okay. Just stay drunk stay and amical. Stay drunk and amical, guys. And or keep it above 18. Cheers.